Welcome to part two of my analysis of the music of Final Fantasy VII on My Melodies of Life. If you haven't listened to part one, I highly recommend you go back one episode and listen to that first before coming back to this one. Everyone who has already done so will know where we left off and will have an idea on where we will carry on. As a reminder, caution is advised on potential mild spoilers on the entire compilation of Final Fantasy VII so far, including Final Fantasy VII Remake and potentially Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is not scheduled to be released for another year at the time of recording. I don't have any insider information, let that be clear, but the marketing material that has been revealed so far confirms that the game will be exploring this part of Final Fantasy VII's story. Please bear that in mind as we explore the rest of my personal highlights of the rest of the soundtrack. As mentioned at the end of part 1, our party has just left Midgar and are about to explore the open world. Players will have spent a good few hours in Midgar already, and have not caught a glimpse of the wider world yet. Plus this is the first Final Fantasy game on the PlayStation, so the scale of the accompanying music will have to match the scale of the graphical upgrade from the pixels and sprites of the SNES to the revolutionising polygons of this generation. What you're about to hear is the main theme of Final Fantasy VII. I grew up in a very sheltered, lower-class countryside lifestyle. As a result, I did not have many chances to explore much of the world, let alone my home country, as a child. It's only in the current stage of my life where I got the chance to catch up on opportunities that I always wanted to experience at a younger age. I listen to this music, and I keep thinking back to those moments. This must be what our protagonists must be feeling the moment they step back into the larger world. The initial introduction of the main theme expresses that emotion even further, by accentuating everything in a minor key at first. As we start to slowly transition to a major key and progress towards the main hook of the theme that remains prominent throughout the soundtracks of the entire compilation, the sense of wonder and amazement starts to take hold. As players, we are looking at the first time an overworld has been constructed in 3D. First time players back in 1997 must have been absolutely gobsmacked by the sheer scale of what was shown on screen at the time. It's not a sensation you can easily replicate, so it's no wonder people always think back at those first four notes of the main theme's melody and reminisce on simpler and happier moments. Truly a marquee moment in video game history. Of course you wouldn't be able to listen to this marvel all the way through the first time round, because you'll most likely be interrupted by the game's battle theme, the title of which is different depending on who you ask. It may be known to others as those who fight, or simply fight, but I will say this. Let the battles begin. Here 
Hearing this for the first time should be a telltale sign of how the series is starting to deviate from its traditional path. No mentions of crystals so far, unless you count the crystallized form of the livestream. Musically speaking, this is the first battle theme in the series to not start with the bassline. Instead, we get a more orchestral and militaristic feel. We already know that Cloud is an ex-soldier turned mercenary, and the rest of his companions all have other variant forms of combat experience. So for them, this is just an occupational hazard. It's part of the job. But at the same time, they also know that one false move can mean disaster for everyone involved. This sense of determination can definitely be felt from how the music keeps switching from ascending to descending melodies and counter melodies throughout the entire piece. It doesn't matter who or what is in front of you, or the size of this being. It's in your way, and you have to do something about it. Everyone knows the saying, opposites attract, right? I'd be surprised if anyone hasn't heard this being said to them at least once in their lives. So with that in mind, we know that Let the Battles Begin is an orchestral piece. What is the opposite of orchestral? That would be rock. Also, the opposite of a normal random encounter would be a boss battle. This next piece also has multiple names depending on where you look. You could call this one Those Who Fight Further, which is a stage up from Those Who Fight, but I like the title Fight On. Already, just by switching the instrumentation and the structure from orchestral to rock, the intensity of the fight has already increased. From a narrative perspective, this is less of an occupational hazard and more of a means of crisis prevention. If this particular enemy is not taken care of here and now, then that would mean bad news for everyone involved in the surrounding area. Before I discuss the next piece, I just want to ask one more question to everyone. How do you feel when you first go to somewhere like an amusement park? What do you hear? I'm sure the next piece and the location namesake in the game will directly personify your answer no matter where you stand. Welcome to the Gold Saucer. When I first heard this while playing Final Fantasy VII for the first time, I instantly got reminded of the hustle and bustle of a typical amusement park, especially when it's the most crowded and illuminated during the summer nights. The use of synthesized instruments immediately brought flashbacks of classic crane games from the arcades to my imagination. A question I asked myself also when listening to this for the first time was, where's the melody? The music sounded like two different melodies were playing at once. The only similarities being the chord structure and the bass line. That's what's so special about this particular piece. There is no strict melody or counter melody. You can hum it to yourself, end up switching between the two partway through, and you wouldn't realise. Yet it still makes sense in your head. 
It's exactly like the journey and interactions in an amusement park. There is no linear way to explore. How you spend your time there is down to you. One hidden mechanic in Final Fantasy VII that was seriously ahead of its time was how you played the game up to the Gold Saucer determined who Cloud would end up on a date with. But only one of the characters that are available is considered the canon choice. This provides me with the perfect link to the next piece I want to discuss. Eris theme. Why do you think I chose to write an arrangement of this, celebrating the 25th anniversary of Final Fantasy VII and the 35th anniversary of the franchise, both taking place in the same year? So much dedication, love and personal history was put into this piece of music for this to just simply work. I say personal history because Hironobu Sakaguchi went through his own period of heartache during Final Fantasy VII's development. Sakaguchi is credited as executive producer for the original game. Sadly, his mother passed away all the way back when Final Fantasy III was in development. He told PlayStation Underground that he wanted to analyse life in a mathematical and logical way, as a way to overcome the grief he was experiencing. By observing the theme of life through this lens, we end up with a scene that expresses a deep sense of loss in one of the most influential video game plot points of all time. As much as we want to ignore it, loss is inevitable. But that does not mean a huge void will be left behind. The birth of something new will rise from the ashes of the initial shock of death and loss, and the memories of loved ones will keep the legacy of someone special alive. When I listen to this, I think of how similar pieces like Aria Maiden of Water from Final Fantasy 3 or Theme of Love from Final Fantasy 4 and how they could have influenced the way that Nobuo Uematsu, one of Hironobu Sakaguchi's closest friends, musically interpreted what Sakaguchi must have gone through during this period of his life. That personal touch has made Eris theme shoot up the stratosphere to not just video game history, but music history as a whole. In my personal opinion, I see this piece as a foundation towards the evolution that video game orchestras and video game concerts have become today, and nothing is going to change my mind. Well, one thing might. With every sun, there is a moon. With light comes darkness. The bright, innocent and glistening Aerith is balanced out by the dark, vengeful and alluring Sephiroth. There is one piece of music that is synonymous with this character, 
but I simply cannot talk about that without mentioning this piece first. This is those chosen by the planet. What's even scarier about the character of Sephiroth is that he used to be a protector, the ultimate soldier. But as soon as he finds out about the experiments that ended with his conception, and the conclusions that he written for himself, his mind snaps, leaving nothing but fire and destruction behind him. Sephiroth believes that he alone is the sole successor to the planet and its resources, and everyone else are simply invaders that settled on his territory. The minimalistic orchestration, and yet grand and ominous texture, is enough to explain Sephiroth's deeper, dark psychological characteristics. The choir representing his global ambitions, the tolling of the bell telling the listener that his presence will be the last thing you sense before you get swiftly cut down, the percussion's steady, heartbeat-like rhythm showing no remorse for any of his actions. All of this accompanied by discordant intervals in between times when the main melody is played. He's unpredictable, he's swift, and he has eyes everywhere. He is, simply put, Sephiroth. Fans of Final Fantasy VII collectively do not consider those chosen by the planet to be Sephiroth's main theme. There is one other theme that is more closely tied to the community at large, but I simply do not have the time to talk about it now. This is because there is so much of it, it can fit a whole episode under its own merit. If you haven't caught on yet, the final part of my analysis of the music of Final Fantasy VII will be a One-Winged Angel special. I will be looking at every single official rendition of One Winged Angel up to this point, spalling throughout the entirety of Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts. If you're a fan of One Winged Angel, Final Fantasy VII, or know anyone who is, they do not want to miss this. Spread the word of the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, and share my melodies of life as much as you possibly can. Send me an email through the contact page on my website, lewisjamesmusic.com, and let me know any comments you may have about the show. I'd love to hear from you. This next episode will mark the end of this series and the start of a hiatus on Final Fantasy music on this podcast, at least for the time being. That does not stop me from being extremely excited for the One Winged Angel special, and I sincerely hope you are too. I'll be back in another two weeks for one of my most ambitious episodes to date. This has been a Lewis James production of My Melodies of Life. <laughs>